I'm Lauren Maxwell, and this is We're All Friends Here. Welcome to Let's Talk, a series of conversations about life's biggest questions. Today, I'm excited for you to meet my friend, Andrew Huang. Andrew is a writer, photographer, foodie, recovering menswear enthusiast, and reluctant functional fitness gym member. Currently, he's a content strategist at Brains on Fire, a creative agency in Greenville, South Carolina, and Los Angeles, California. He's also the editor-at-large for Town, a magazine devoted to the stories and culture of the progressive South. Andrew, I'm so glad you're here. Thanks for joining. Thank you so much for inviting me and and, uh, just having me uh, talk to you. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So how has the pandemic affected your life this year? Um, You know, I I think in some ways, like dramatically, and in some ways, not so much. And by that, I mean, you know, I'm just naturally a little bit of an introvert anyway. So you know, it's not like I was, you know, going out to bars or like just really hanging out, Mm -hmm. uh, with tons and tons of people. Like that's, that's never really been something that, uh, sort of fuels me or, you know, recharges me. So in that sense, I'm kind of like, well, it's kind of nice because like, I don't feel any societal pressure to have to go out all the time, Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) but it is nice to go to a restaurant and have a drink. And, you know, those are very, surface level sorts of like, like ultimately like, you know, yeah. yeah, And they're just, Oh no, these are like very small inconveniences to my life right now that Mm -hmm. I have to endure for, you know, public health, which is yes, like absolutely what everybody should be doing. Um, Mm -hmm. and you know, with work, you know, we've done a lot of working from home anyway. So, and, and I'm, I'm lucky enough to, work at an agency where, uh, all the work that we do can be accomplished, uh, yeah. you know, online or through computers or, or whatever. So I am finding that there's a little bit of cabin fever setting in. Um, there's mm-hmm. definitely like a desire to just have a change of scenery. Um, yeah. but uh, yeah, so when you get that pull of cabin fever, like, is there something that you've found that you can go do to sort of quench your thirst? Um, you know, trying to just go outside. I mean, I'm doing a lot more walks these days, um, mm-hmm. but I, I think just, I mean, working, fresh air. yeah, fresh air working in the yard, which is not a thing that I would have imagined that I would be saying <laughs> ever because yard work is not really my thing. But yeah. yeah. And then in 2020, it became your new hobby. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's a whole nother like rabbit hole to get into. Um, <laughs> there's so much stuff about like lawns that I'm learning and I'm like, I don't know how to do anything, which is very It's a whole thing. Yeah. Um, I know nothing either, so we can be together in that. Fair. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you think that living through this experience brought up any particular fears or worries for you? You know, I think, I guess like mortality is always, you know, a big kind of sort of question and lingering in the back of most people's minds. And and I guess like the only way you can get through life is by not really actively thinking about it. But, um, yeah, certainly, you know, with, you know, in regards to like my parents who are in that age bracket that Mm -hmm. 
uh, is higher risk. Um, yeah. uh, you know, I'm, I've you know, started thinking like, Oh Jesus. Okay. Like that's something I have to think about and not just in, you know, not just in the context of a global pandemic, but, um, you know, my parents are aging and that's sort of, yeah. uh, something that's, that I will have to deal with at some point. And that's, I mean, that's fucking terrifying. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And coming to terms with that and how to live with that, knowing that it's always something you're observing and will always be accelerating, you know, like there's no pressing pause. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And then I think there's always also the question of like, you know, what am I doing with my time? You know, I, I think partially like understanding that like, oh, we're in a global pandemic and a lot of my day-to-day is not really changed that much. Like, what does that say about like what my normal day-to-day is? Like, and what experiences am I leaving on the table? And, you know, that's also uh, kind of, you know, an unsettling thought to to ponder. Yeah. What's an example of that? Like an experience that you might have been leaving on the table that now you want to take more seriously or consider? Uh, just domestic travel. You know, I, I think like... I've always, you know, international travel is like expensive and time consuming. And, you know, there's a lot of things about international travel that, that you know, it's comp- it's more complicated and it's more involved to go do that. And that's something that is still very interesting to me. And, and there's a lot of draw to that. But I'm also like, okay, why, why haven't I left Greenville in, mm-hmm. you know, however long? Like, when's the last time I went to Asheville or, you know, like, I've talked about like going to Savannah and I haven't, and you know, just like all these sorts of things where I'm like, okay, now I'm like stuck in a place and I'm thinking about, um, all the shit that I could be doing instead. Um, you know, I've had plenty of opportunities to do that before and I just haven't. So yeah, um, absolutely. It's like the busyness of life takes over or whatever. And you forget about these little, um, wonderlands that are within striking distance, you know? Yeah. And when you were talking about your parents, I also wanted to ask, you know, have they been, um, observant of the need to distance and like, what's that dynamic been like? Because there have been a lot of, um, great memes, for example, that are like all the millennials like had to live through, um, their parents, like screaming at them not to go out. And now the tables have turned, you know, honestly, like I haven't been, so my, um, my parents are divorced. So they're kind of living two different realities right now. My dad is in Taiwan, which, uh, you know, they went into lockdown and they had, you know, pandemic protocols in place because of, mm-hmm. you know, SARS and like, uh, all these other sorts of like super infectious, uh, yeah. viruses and diseases from before. So my dad's like, he's, he's just been chilling. I guess like they were doing, <laughs> yeah. Like he's like, this is fine. And you know, he's retired also. So he's, it's not like he is, you know, has to adjust his yeah. like, work life or anything the like office, that. Yeah. Yeah. So he's just sort of like, I mean, like we've just stayed inside for a while and now we're just wearing masks, which is already a thing that a lot of Asian countries do. So, mm-hmm. you know, he's like, things are fine. Um, yeah. and my mom is like in Colombia, but she's also kind of a homebody, you know? So she, she's like, yeah. this is fine. This is great. I don't have to interact with people oh, and yeah. I just get to do yard work <laughs> and garden. Yes. Like she's been preparing her whole life for this moment. Exactly. So they're doing great. They're thriving. And I'm like, yeah, I'm a little bit jealous. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's good though. It's better than I think the alternative of, you know, my parents won't stay home from their bridge games, um, which I've heard some uh, of. Um, yeah. So tell us if you found any unexpected sources of joy 
while being quarantined? Yes. Um, so what surprised you? You know, I, I don't know if it was necessarily surprise. I think it's just being more present in, in some places that I, you know, before sort of staying at home, like I wasn't always present for And Mm -hmm. by that, I mean like, um, you know, I bought a house like about a year ago and, you know, outside of like weekends, uh, you know, the day to day, I'm like, leave the house in the morning, go to the office and come back. And especially in the wintertime, you know, it's like you Mm -hmm. come back when it's dark, so you don't really see anything. And and now I'm here Mm -hmm. all the time and, um, I'm really enjoying just seeing how, different parts of my house look at different parts of the day, just like yeah. the way the light comes in, which is a very simple thing. But I'm like, that that's really like, there's some very beautiful, like, mm-hmm. you know, windows of time where, uh, the light comes in just right in, um, you know, my living room or my bathroom, which is, you know, I was in the middle of a bathroom renovation right at the beginning yeah. of the pandemic. So like once I got done, I'm just very much, you know, thankful for my, pretty bathroom now which is a weird Absolutely. thing to say <laughs> that's the most adult thing you've probably ever said but I totally understand oh yeah I mean it's it's a beautiful place to be um yeah but he, but even besides my house just like walking through my neighborhood you know and being able to, to kind of see the sunset in my neighborhood yeah. and um you know I've actually met all my neighbors now which mm-hmm. uh before you know everybody's kind of off doing their own thing but um yeah. now you're you know people are just out and about a bit more and you just run into people a little bit more. And that's, uh, that's been a really pleasant surprise. Yeah. I have experienced the same thing. It's like, I found myself asking, especially when we were all officially locked down when everything was closed. And of course you and I are in the South where we've been open reopening now for a while, (laughs) um, to, uh, not, which has not necessarily been successful. That's another conversation, but, um, yeah, I found myself asking, you know, it took a global disease and pandemic to get us actually talking to our neighbors. And what does that say about the world we had created for ourselves and the priorities we were setting before this happened? You know, so yeah, I also found a lot of joy just in um, having that moment to chat with the person who lives next door. There's something to learn, you know, from the people around us, even though, uh, my neighbors are all so different than I am, but it's been um, really good to connect. And I think like those kinds of conversations and those moments encourage like intergenerational interactions that we don't always find in our everyday like social rhythms and even work rhythms, you know? Absolutely. I mean, I think one of the, and this is, I guess what is one of those other realizations that I'm having now is, you know, I moved into you know, when I bought my house, I moved into a neighborhood that is, um, it, it's not a glitzy, fancy sort of like bougie neighborhood, you know, it's an mm-hmm. older neighborhood, um, former mill village. Uh, so it's a really diverse neighborhood. Um, but the neighborhood doesn't look like my friend group. Right. And, and that was mm-hmm. one of the things that when I was moving here, I was like, Oh, that's like really cool. Um, and I never did anything with that. Um, you know, what was I doing before? Like, this is, this this should have been something that I, you know, came here and moved in and started doing to begin with. Right. Right. And, um, 
yeah, again, I think we just fall into certain rhythms culturally and it's hard to diverge at that point. And um, we've fallen into this world of like chatting with each other all day online, but not talking to the human beings that are like sharing um, space, physical space with us. And it's fascinating, but it's kind of cool to think about the fact that on the other side of this pandemic, maybe like for you and I, a neighborhood cookout would be something that is a little more realistic. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Or even just like, I don't know, uh, like dropping stuff off for neighbors, you know, just, I don't know, yeah. just like small things. Uh, yeah. Yeah. There's a house I walk by every single day and I know their dog because my dog and this dog bark at each other. And it's actually very cute because they're both small and like no one seems threatening and it's fine. Right. Um, at this house, you know, I've never even seen the humans who live there. But at some point during the pandemic, they put up signs, pink signs on the door. And for a few days I would walk by and I was like, what are those signs? Like this, like I'm intrigued, you know, I mean, it's the pandemic. I'm looking for, I'm looking for entertainment. So um, I kind of like eventually started walking by a little closer. I still couldn't quite read it. Eventually I got brave enough to read the sign. Turns out they were saying a cancer patient lives here. You know, please leave any packages or deliveries. We won't be coming to the door. Um, She's undergoing chemotherapy. And then over time they put up like a pink ribbon flag. They put pink ribbons on their mailbox and all these things. And I found myself kind of watching from afar their story unfold. And it's something that I don't know if I would have been aware of if we hadn't been living through the pandemic and I found myself wanting to like bake something for them. And I haven't done it yet, but it's been on my mind and it's something that, yeah, I think those little neighborly moments, I I would love to see them have a comeback. Absolutely. I, I was just having a conversation with a friend last night and, and she was saying like how, um, you know, where she sits to work is, is, uh, the dining room that overlooks the front porch. And so she just will see people on their walks or whatnot. And she's, she was like kind of kidding, but she was like, yeah, it feels like I'm like the neighborhood creep because I know when <laughs> everybody's like on their walk, like what time they come by and like, you know, who they're with and what dogs they have with them. And, you know, <laughs> the sort of like, you know, I, I guess like on the one hand, like very, like, it can feel a little like, snoopy or like you know kind of voyeuristic or whatever but i guess that that is a little bit of being in the neighborhood is sort of living your life around people and like having some aspect of your life uh you know visible to your neighbor Uh yeah yeah and it it makes me feel better to think that like we could live in a world where if someone was sick or someone experienced a birth or a death that the neighbors would actually um sort of like be engaged with that and support you through that yeah, absolutely. So talk to me about this moment we're experiencing of um, the call for racial justice in this country and reform and change. Do you think that those two things happening simultaneously, the pandemic and the protests, like, what do you think about that? Well, I think, like, first of all, right, Black Lives Matter. Just yes. full stop. Um, yes, thank you. Absolutely. I'm there. The same, same as a lot of people. I think, you know, we're coming to terms with the ways that we have failed, you know, other members of our community. You know, I, I think I've always thought like, you know, hey, like, you know, I'm not necessarily going to become somebody who works in policy or social work or anything that, that has mm-hmm. that kind of like, you know, direct impact on other people's lives. 
But what I can do is like maybe go for like lowercase C kind of like change, um, mm. you know, just be nice to people or, or whatever. And that's, that's, yes, that's fine. But that, that's, you know, I'm like, that nah, actually, like I haven't done that much. And that is, you know, I, I think with that comes the, you know, struggle that, you know, I think a lot of people are having that, uh, okay, so we're complicit and actively benefiting from yeah. this existing system. And that is not a good feeling to have. Right. And I guess like if people see like whatever, whichever photo you use of me, like they'll understand like I'm not white. I'm, you know, an Asian American mm-hmm. and, you know, having that as part of my identity. Yeah. Um, yes. I mean like Asian Americans benefit from this like model minority stereotype. Yeah. Uh, but it's not like, it's not like we're immune to the debilitating effects of a racist system. But I think, you know, when it's like good enough for us in the moment, it becomes very easy to like Mm -hmm. dismiss the way things are for our neighbors and for other members of the community. And that is something that, um, it's not enough to just like, support your community members and like, yes, of course, like by all means, I call out racism when you see it, but you know, Mm -hmm. it is worth and it's really important to go after these sorts of like big radical changes Mm -hmm. and demand these, you know, like actual change that will make a difference for people's lives. Mm -hmm. Um, I think in South Carolina where we are, um, there certainly isn't, as strong of a call, you know, generally, Mm -hmm. you know, as say like you would see in Atlanta or New York. Um, I I do think there's some sensitivity to some of our neighbors. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't know. All lives matter camp. Yes, exactly. Um, so I think there is some sensitivity to, uh, like not upset people, which is kind of like a bullshit excuse mm-hmm. um yeah you know like somebody's like discomfort or you know trying to, to try to make sure somebody is not in, uh inconvenienced should not take precedence over you know a human being's life ever. yeah um right. but I, I do think there is that kind of strain of thought here where it's like oh we don't want to like we want to be polite don't want to inconvenience people yeah it is i think there's um right the southern pressure of of politeness or niceness and <clears throat> knowing, you know, some of the things that like this community doesn't necessarily talk about its history of lynchings, its history of segregation, things like that. And, um, I was thinking, you know, and talking to one of my mentors about like the difference between kindness and niceness, you know, like I think kindness can sort of penetrate in a deeper way towards the truth when sometimes niceness is a little bit more surface level, a little bit more masking of those truths, you know? So I think, and it's certainly going to be challenging in a lot of communities in this country, but I think there's a way to face the truth with kindness, you know, and, um, right. Others might not always see it that way, but I think like if we hold that intention, then it, it could come through. That's a, that's a good nuance to make. 
Yeah, I mean, it's harder in the everyday, like, uh, right, trying to talk to someone, you know, trying to influence someone in your personal little realm. But um, when you were talking about your experience as an Asian American versus the experience of the Black community, I was also thinking that feeling that you mentioned of it's almost like um, there's not enough opportunity for both to go around or like, I think you said, since it was okay for the Asian American community, it's just kind of like, all right, we're going to go with that. And what comes to mind is that it's still white supremacy in action, you know, because it's like whiteness as the norm, as the majority, as the stronghold. And it's these other groups looking for the opportunity that comes from being part of that. So it feels like if we could dismantle that, um, that, that underlying issue of whiteness being valued in a different way, um, then there wouldn't be this sense of lack for others. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I do think this idea that, um, you know, life is sort of zero sum is, is certainly not something that I think you can like support as a human being. Like if you're, you know, interested in human beings, period, like zero sum, that that can't be the framework you live within because I, I think that's you know that, that is a part of the rationale if you mm-hmm. want to call it that for for white supremacy right like um, you know if we give other people the same things that you know we benefit from then nobody benefits from and there's a that sort of like false kind of uh, dichotomy that that's being set up there and we don't do a lot to question it. Um, yeah. it's, it's inconvenient to, to question that it's, it is, um, yeah. it, you lose, you lose whatever benefits you, you, you know, however small you they may be. That you will. Yeah. yeah. There's like fear that there won't be enough to go around, even if that's not the case, you know, and I've heard it called opportunity hoarding, which I thought was an interesting take on it. And like one example was, um, like a, a white family just sort of like manipulating the school system or education system to try to get their the best opportunities for their kids. And as a result, it's like uh, the, the percentage of white kids in AP classes is far more than the percentage of um, black kids in AP classes. And so that was just one example of um, white parents seeking the best for their children, which in itself, there's nothing wrong with. But when it comes through the lens of opportunity hoarding and or zero sum and not enough to go around, it starts to have implications, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that's, it, it's been difficult to make that connection. I think for, for folks who are like, you know, yes, like if you are, you know, if you are a parent and you are looking at where to move and what school districts are going to be best for your mm-hmm. kid, right? Like, is it fair to, to ask somebody to, you know, enroll their child in a school that is, um, you know, substandard, you know. Right. But over time, it's like the reason it's substandard is because it's been underfunded because it hasn't been valued by the right people. And it's just, yeah, we're stuck in this cycle. It's not, it can't be rectified by like the single action of like a parent putting their kid in in a school. Right. But that, that kind of change needs to happen on like a policy level. Um, but it is sort of like, so, so I think there is that like disconnect where it's like, well, I don't like, I don't want to put my kid's future at risk. 
uh, so that I can stand on, you know, some moral high ground or, you know, whatever it is, you know? So I think I, I see that that is like a difficult position to be in. If that's also the case, right. It's like, well, as a, you know, as a parent or as somebody as a member of the community, like you should also probably agitate for, you know, the kinds of policy changes that would make it mm-hmm. such that you don't have to make that decision. Yes, exactly. Yeah. We've got a lot of work to do. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, yeah. Yeah. I know. I know. Okay. So just for fun, tell us what you would do first thing tomorrow if the pandemic magically ended. Probably, I guess like I should like, uh, live up to what I was saying earlier, like, you know, book a book, an Airbnb somewhere yes. and like go yeah. away for a while, you know, more likely than not, it, it would probably be like, go to a restaurant or a bar and just like sit and enjoy mm-hmm. that experience. Even if it's not like a, like a super committed, like, oh, okay, like I have to be, you know, in a, in a very intense conversation with, you know, my best friend for the next like two hours or whatever is just yeah. more just like, a, I just like <laughs> social it, contact. Yeah. Yeah. Just even being on the periphery of that is, it, you know, seems kind of nice right now. It does. Yeah. I keep thinking about little things like that we took for granted. Like, do you remember like sitting in a restaurant with like a group of four people or something and someone gets a great cocktail and you're like pretty close friends and you're like, oh my God, you have to try this. And then the whole group passes it around and we didn't think anything of it. Right. Or even now it's just sort of like, um, like the last time I saw you and John, mm-hmm. you know, we, we hadn't gone to, you know, I guess bar Margaret. Now we hadn't gone to the uh, bar Margaret, uh, with the intention of like hanging out together, seeing each other, but yeah. you know, y'all were there and I was there with my friends and it was nice to just sort of have like a serendipitous moment of like, you know, it catching was. up and just kind of, mm-hmm. you know, crossing paths. And that's, that's something that I do miss. It's like, it's very difficult to have those kinds of moments when uh, you are just in your house by yourself. Oh, that's so true. Just kind of like the spontaneous beauty of like being in the world. Like, right. I definitely took that for granted. I hadn't thought of it. I miss it. Um, oh. What's your go-to snack? Quarantine snack? Oh my God. It's like, uh, I mean, I've been like a huge fan of like, like gas station potato chips for a long time. Like, oh, okay. This like is like really thin and crispy, right? Yeah. Well, not even, it's just like, okay, I guess this is not strictly a gas station brand, but like Utz potato chips are wonderful. Mm -hmm. Um, and what I have found is that even when I go to Publix and get Utz potato chips, they aren't as good. And I don't know why that is. Interesting. Okay. I do have like a theory on this. Um, please tell. So like the Spinks, the gas, the local gas station convenience store chain, um, they have what's called hungry size, which is, you know, like larger than like a single serving, but apparently not as big as like family size, which is what it's sold at okay. Publix. I think the Publix family size is, um, it's the whole like joke about like how if you get a bag of Lay's or potato chips or whatever, it's just like mostly air anyways. And I think that's oh, true. Yeah. My theory is that the hungry size is like the perfect concentration of like, you know, potato chip mass to um, like package size so there's like actually like the distribution of flavor particles is like better oh Um, my god there's i have to remember this because i I recently mm -hmm. had a disappointing experience of buying like super bougie organic potato chips and that was the first time i really realized like 
oh my God, they made this bag super big. So I would feel like I was getting a lot, but there were like five chips inside. Yeah, that's, that is not, I mean, and I think part of the whole thing about like having potato chips is like, there's, you know, it, for it to be a gratifying experience, you have to like, feel like you almost like ate yourself sick kind of, at least for me. <laughs> like, I, I don't want to feel good <laughs> a bag of potato chips. Um and uh, I, 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 you know, eat entire bags of potato chips, like with that goal in mind. Right. Um, I want to feel like nice and guilty, like a little, a little bit embarrassed, but also like pleased with myself. Yes. Like there's like a, there's like a, a certain degree of like accomplishment that comes with like, <laughs> I, a single human being, like ate the hungry sized bag. I was truly hungry. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, Interesting. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to seek that out. No more. I mean, I really regretted the organic chip purchase to be honest with you. Like, I've been in family size mode. That's what quarantine has done to me. Like, there's never <laughs> enough. there's I need salt, I need texture, and that's just going to be the way it is. Yes. Well, okay, like were you telling me like the other day about like or did, was John mentioning or you were saying like John and like you had made John go out and get like uh Oh, some, oh, like, I forgot. Oh, yeah. yeah. I sent him, well, we had been like super strict about quarantine too. Like we were limiting ourselves to, um, to one grocery trip every two weeks. And now we've done some deliveries and things to like mix it up a little bit, but come curbside, you know, but anyway, we were super strict. And then one day, like the mental health just reached that point where I was like, I, I really need cool ranch Doritos. Like I haven't had them in years. Um, I, but I'm going to have to have them. And he was like, I've got this. And he went to QT, which is another gas station near us. And um, it was like, he said it was a war zone in there, like not a mask in sight, like people touching things, like people getting in each other's space. It was late at night. And, um, but he came home with a, just like the regular full bag of Doritos. Like I told him not to get the snack size, like don't get the car trip size. Like we need a commitment. I mean, if you're going to risk your like well being for the, right. like you gotta, you gotta get your like, you know, like. Yeah, you know, safety's worth or like whatever. Oh yeah. So I had them that night as a midnight snack and the next day for breakfast. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I was living my best life or my worst life. Like no one knows for sure. It doesn't even matter. Like we're in the vortex. Yeah. I mean, I, I have like, this is, this is one thing that I have kind of realized, like I maybe need to cut back is like, you know, showing up to zoom calls and, um, <laughs> not that I'm like, you know, Okay, there there were a couple of times where I was just like cramming like kettle chips into my face, um, which is yes, Wait, rude. Video on with the video on, like I just wasn't thinking. I was just like hungry, you know. Um, yeah. But I've had like a couple of coworkers like make like they're not being mean or anything. They just it's just like an observation, like purely neutral observation about like the um, like snacks that I may have on my desk and it's made me realize like I need to do a better job of cleaning up, but also um, maybe I shouldn't have like all those snacks. What's been the max number of like snacks on your desk at one time? Um, Oh gosh. I mean, I'm just like looking at my desk right now and there's like, you know, a coffee (laughs) mug with like, yeah. Yeah, So there's like a mug with cold coffee, um, like not fancy coffee by any means. Um, And there's like, like a, a Tupperware where I had my, that my lunch w- was in and, you know, um, like there's a can of like LaCroix and, you know, there's like a bag, well, like part of a bag of like, like, uh, it's like sour cream and onion chips mm, and classic. 
Yeah, and there's also like a multivitamin like gummy container here also. <laughs> Just for good measure. Yeah. Not really like you know, a paragon of health right now. But. Yeah. No, it's it's fine. We're all just doing our best. Um, you know, you'll have a salad day and you'll have a nuts day. Like it all balances out in the end. Right. I mean, you hope. I mean, I'm hope I'm I'm banking on that actually. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, although potato chips on the salad, I mean, that could be something to try. Absolutely. And also like, I mean, potato chips gluten-free, so that's one mm-hmm. thing that I have going for me. Yeah, yeah, that fits within many health brackets. Um, right. <laughs> if you are just like sick and tired of making dinner, you don't want to step foot in your kitchen again, like what's your go-to quarantine dinner? What I have been doing is uh, like some just like white rice, like short grain white rice and, mm-hmm. you know, a container. I, I just have like a, a large container of kimchi um, mm-hmm. from the local like Asian grocery store that I get every time I go. Um, mm-hmm. so it's literally just like white rice and kimchi and you know, it's, and maybe I'll like fry an egg or like throw an egg in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's kind of it, you know, there's like, I guess, you know, probiotics and stuff in there and yeah. it's kind of good. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. No, that sounds great. We've been leaning heavily on rice too. Like we'll put whatever extra rice we have in little um, packets in the freezer. Mm -hmm. And this was a David Chang trick I picked up on Instagram. And then you just stick them in the microwave for two minutes, they're ready to go. And then we do a lot of like fried rice combos from there. See, that's what I need to do is like, I, again, the whole like self-restraint thing, like I like cook a pot of rice and it's gone, but I I should just like (laughs) save the rice and do some day old, like, you know, fried rice Um, yeah or specific like make a pot just to freeze you know like that's what we're gonna have to do because we keep running out also and the fried rice is just so great because whatever like odds and ends you have like you can just throw in you know yeah it's just sort of like uh yes it's a very flexible kind of dish Mm -hmm. yeah so okay one more question do you think that you'll be a different person after all of this um I guess like the, the smart answer is yes, because this is, I mean, clearly like, I mean, it's an unprecedented global event and mm-hmm. I'm sure that it's impossible to walk away and not walk away or like come out of this without having been changed or affected in some way. But yeah, um, I don't know. I don't know if it will change a whole ton for me. Like maybe I was already pretty selective about the people I was around and pretty selective yeah. about the places I went yeah. and so I don't, I don't know. Just that ready to get will. back out there, huh? I think it's just, just ready to have the option too. Yeah. The freedom mm-hmm. and just, just the joy of that. And I love what you said about the spontaneity of running into each other, running into other people that you didn't expect to see, but sometimes it just like reshapes your whole day in a, in a beautiful way. Yeah. I, I think that's, that's one of the, one of the things I do like about living in a city the size of Greenville. And one benefit of that is um, the people who are there, you know, are likely also regulars. So it's really mm-hmm. kind of comforting and reassuring to, to know that, you know, people somewhere. That's kind of a nice thought. Yeah. Having your bartender know you having, um, yeah, it's comforting. Yeah. They're absolutely. happy to see you, you know? Well, I don't know about it's that. Like- but <laughs> <laughs> Maybe sometimes. Yeah, I, I would, I would wager a bet. Um, but yeah, I think at the end of the day, that's what we all want. Like, Hey, 
someone's happy to see me. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> hey, thank you so much for being here. This was a lot of fun. Thanks so much for having me here. And thanks so much for uh, bearing with me as I like ramble through your questions. Oh but, my God, um, you were perfect, but it's now you. snack time. It so. is now snack time. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening today. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe to We're All Friends Here. You'll get an email once a week on Saturday mornings with an essay or a conversation about the struggle and the beauty of being alive. Take care out there and I'll see you next time.